Hello and welcome to this bite-sized episode of the Art of Teaching podcast. I've been receiving so many positive reviews and feedback from you, and I'm so grateful that you'll take the time to listen. These bite-sized episodes are small snippets of a larger conversation from interviews available at theartofteachingpodcast.com. Today's bite-sized episode is with the amazing Professor Yong Zhao. He's received numerous awards, including the Early Career Teacher Award from the American Educational Research Association and Distinguished Achievement Award in Professional Development from the Association of Education Publishers. He has been recognized as one of the world's most influential educational scholars. We covered a lot of ground in this week's discussion, including his failure as a Chinese farmer and how this changed his life the implementation of outdated pedagogy, and the necessity for schools to focus on creativity and innovation. What were you like at school and and would you mind spending um, a couple of minutes just unpacking your story of your failure as a Chinese farmer, which I thought was hilarious when I I read it. Well, I think that's, um, that's a really important message in my mind, is that uh, you know I grew up and uh, in a village in the Sichuan province in China, which is southwest part of it. And when I was growing up, you know, China was going through some really, really bad times. The Cultural Revolution. All schools were closed. The countryside, when people were starving in my village, I saw people starving in my village. But then you know, I was. Um, I mean, we 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 did not have enough food for each year. You know, but but one thing. Um, that I was not good is I was not good at doing any of the farm work. Uh, I did not really try very hard, and I was the uh, the only son at that time. I had a brother ten years later, but you know uh, at that time was um, was tough. Yeah. So um, that is where I started going to school. The school was started not as a pathway to the future, but 1970s. So. Uh, uh, my father said, you know, Randy, why don't you go to school? But going to school was not a fashionable, was not required by law, you know, just, but I said, okay, sure. And once I was in school, I really began to find my own place. I was good at reading. Don't treat that school as any of your schools, Matt. It's, it's, uh, it's not a real school. It's like one teacher with a group of kids of different ages, you know, you can call it multi-age grouping. There was no textbook. You just, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a sanctuary. It's a place that I was being able to go away. So that's a strong message is that um, what you are not good at should not define you. I think that's why in education we have a make a mistake. We always define our children by what they're not good at. If you look at the NAPLAN assessment, you're assessing students, you know, you're not good at this, then you're no good. They would keep remediation. Don't keep working on what people are not good at or not interested in. Work on something more important. Yeah, look, I, I think that's really, 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 really important. And we you talk a lot about that in terms of assessment, and um, especially um, uh, you mentioned um, in your most recent book the your belief in the ability. Sorry, the for, sorry. Let me rephrase that. You mentioned in a re- recent book about how you believe that China didn't engage um, in the industrial revolution because. Um, uh, for a number of reasons. And, and would you mind maybe unpacking um, some of those and why you think it's so important to um, to really take the time to find out what our students are 
are good at. And you, you shared a really interesting story about you believe that Einstein would not have been uh, discovered if he was born uh, in China during the period that you were discussing. So how important is it to really identify some of our students' strengths? Well, I think, you know, they, um, the first thing is that, um, you know, most people following the industrial model of education, it's been going on for 100 years, over 100 years, and people really believe that's the model to make your children successful. So we make our children comply to schools to say you got to be well in this subject, that subject, eventually you'll result in an Aplin score, in an ATAR score, so you become successful. And that may be right. But today, I think we have come to a different time. That's, you have to believe every child has unique, unique talent and unique passions. And that uniqueness can be valuable in the future if very well nourished and cultivated. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a huge mistake for parents and teachers to just believe the children are going to be judged by an existing system. I don't really, that's why I'm not really a big fan of any assessment. You cannot really judge a person's future, you know, when they're year one, one year old, two year olds, or in, in younger age. I think it is our job to identify what this child is talented with and what this child is passionate about and help them build a knowledge base, a skills base to become unique individuals. That's what I call rich for greatness. If you become great and unique, and then you learn that you have to make use of your greatness. It's like a positive psychologist you know, kept talking about, use your virtual, use your signature strength and virtues to create value for others, then you will become successful. I don't think that belief is shared by anybody. You know, definitely, like Steve Jobs probably wouldn't survive in China or in Singapore and South Korea, you know, all those things, you know, so it would not be Einstein. Because now we, but we need to believe every child actually has that unique capacity. You know, in a traditional society, we're only allowed a few people to thrive, but in the future, every child can. And plus, you know, when you are teaching, who are you to say you got 25 kids? Which one of them is not going to become a great person? We shouldn't have that expectation. But then we use our school curriculum to control our students because our school curriculum only selects those who thrive on them. But unfortunately, the school curriculum does not give our children much. That's why you say the school curriculum, you get a good ATAR score, do they predict children's future? We, we need a lot more great exceptional people. But now we are not doing that because we control them. We why suppress you, them. Um, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Why, why do you think, though, um, that schools continue to uh, implement a pedagogy that is outdated and um, we understand that it doesn't work? So what, why do you think schools continue to do that? I don't know you're speaking generally, uh, but in your experience, why do we continue? Well, I think that there are many many reasons man you know one of the reasons is that uh, um the society has created a, a cultural icon called schooling and they want it to go like that you know so we believe a school is one house how many teachers you know with that and all this class players or if you change that people will not think it's school and the, the, the public society said well that's not school i don't like that so, so they are looking for grades, assessment, 
a classroom with so many people and my kid will go there. That's why if you look at COVID has caused so much trouble. Mm. Second thing is there's a lot of interest. Lots of people make a living by interacting with the existing school. You got the, you got ACARA, you know, you got ETSO, you got the school management system, you got the principals, you have the textbook publishers, you have the after school operators. You, you, just imagine everybody has been benefiting from strengthening the school, make the school more like school, not by breaking it apart. And a lot of people's, you know, life depends on it. So they, they wouldn't want any necessary change, you know, you know that, that's another thing. And of course, you know, another issue is that um, we've been building a school for the last hundred years. If you want to get rid of something that's hundred years, that's very challenging. Yeah. That's very challenging. So there are too many reasons for us not to change despite the general recognition that schools need to change. So you have this conflict between reality and uh, the wishes. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you hear, if you're inspired by the content, please rate, review, and share it with anyone that you think would find it useful. The show notes are available at theartofteachingpodcast.com and the full episode is on iTunes and you can access it by following the links below.